This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where certain things are fixed, the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. Oh, what's popping, y'all? Hey, hey, hey! It's late. We've it been ain't having even it. that late. It's it's late for me, bro. Do you know what? Don't look. Do you even know what time it is? It is 9.40 on the dot. <laughs> oh, my God. And that's late. You are 21 freaking yeah, years old. I, COVID done made you lose your mind if you are 21 and think 9.40 is late. Would you hush for a second? God, Heebie-jeebies. I did not sleep well last night. That's why it's We're not brothers. Yeah. You can't tell. Um, And it's funny that you see your spiritual leaders doing this. That's right. Yes. Uh, We are real people as well. Uh (laughs) Don't Uh, put me on a pedestal. I will knock myself off of it. (laughs) I don't want to be on that pedestal because I will fall. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I won't knock myself off. I'm just going to be clumsy and fall. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, we got some news. We do got some news. So we have been blessed by the Lord Himself uh, with quite a bit of growth on these podcasts and our online presence in a way that we couldn't have imagined. And so we didn't prepare for it. And so we've been a bit reactive against it because not not against it and that it's a bad thing, but we just weren't prepared we've for it. We've been so, more reactive with it. Right. We've been reacting to it. Um, and I was really struggling because I felt like we'd lost a piece of who we were with this large part of our engagement yeah. in that we weren't in relationship with you guys. This is obviously a safe space where you feel like you can be real because you guys reach out to us through instant message or our personal social medias or those kinds of things. And so we're accomplishing that piece. And we're also hearing your stories about restoration and simply the fact that you keep coming back tells us that you feel like you're experiencing healing and wholeness through it. But we didn't feel like we were doing a good job of being relational with you. And so we're trying a couple of new things. Number one in the link and the show notes, I'll have a link to the Wellhouse Facebook page in there, we've created some groups for our podcast listeners. And so if you're a, uh, a, a Pints and Perspective listener, there's a Pints and Perspective group. You should go join all of them, though. Just, well, just if you don't listen to all the podcasts... You should listen to all the podcasts. Yeah, you should first <laughs> listen to all the podcasts, then go join all the groups. But we wanted a space where we could continue the conversation. This feels like a largely one-sided conversation. That's never how we meant it because what it was designed to be is a one-sided conversation here that our people that are in relationship with one another in person would take that to their covenant group yeah. and they would continue the conversation there. But for our online audience, that hasn't that's not available. We don't have we haven't created the structure or the system in which we can give you a covenant group. And so we wanted to try to give you a space to build relationship as well as offer us feedback about what theological questions you're wrestling with so that we can know how to better serve you on the podcast. Yeah. So like if you're, if you were struggling with the idea of Calvinism and you might get your answer today, right? Yeah, you might. Or, or if you listen to this and you go, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm really reformed in my thinking. I think I don't know how the other people view it or, mm-hmm. or if you think you're reformed and you go, Oh, okay, well, here we go. I'm reformed, 
But I see a lot of people that are reformed also believe in infant baptism. Yeah. What do I, how do do I wrestle this? We got to know where you're at in order to better serve you. And so that's another thing that the community group will do for us as well. I also hope there'll just be a place where if you're wrestling with a theological question, you'll just post it and we'll just be a community in relationship together, just having a conversation. And I would hope that it would turn into something where you grab your own beverage, coffee, beer, whatever, and you sit down and go through the feed and just start responding to all kinds of people. Um, now, now, hold on. L- let's go ahead and set a preference here because in, in theology, it can become kind of elitist at times. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. be nice. If yeah. you're not nice, we will remove you from the group. Well, I don't know if I'll remove you, but I'll definitely temper you. At first. If it continues, yeah. If it though. continues, I'll probably remove you. So, like, but, let's be nice. Let's keep it a safe, yeah, yeah, happy, sure. fun space where we we drink beer, we talk theology, whatever. Yeah, for sure. And then the other thing that we've done is we wanted to be in a very intimate relationship with you as best as we can, and so we've created an opportunity for us to communicate with you via text. And so if you want to connect with us in that way, it gives you the opportunity to stay connected with what we're doing. We've got a lot of big things coming up with merch and potentially live events or panels. We could ask people questions that you submit, all those types of things, but we need you in in relationship with us. Uh, It'll also keep you up to date with the things we're doing, as well as if you have a question, you can just text us the question. Mm -hmm. And so I don't have all the information. The, The information will be in the show notes below, but you can text the word pints to this number down below and it'll put you in and we'll be able to communicate with you via text. So I'm really excited about those relationship building pieces that, that we're creating. And I I do think they're going to be fruitful for our community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, super excited for, for all these changes and super excited to get to know you guys in in these groups. Um, lots of you kind of like are on multiple of the podcasts that some of you aren't, but like a lot of you are in our actual gatherings. And so we know you and, um, so I'm just excited to get to know you guys in, in that format too. And the people that we don't have in gatherings, I'm excited to get to know y'all. Yeah. Um, and if you're interested and you want to get to know us too. Yeah. Um, cause this is a one-sided conversation. We want to hear your side. Yep. This is pints sure. and perspectives. Yeah. It's not really matters of perspectives. If all you're hearing is ours, right. like For we sure. try to do all. Yeah, well, and we try to do a good job of bringing on guests and those kinds of things. I'm scheduled to have Ben back next week. Oh, I didn't know this. Um, to do, uh, well, to record some coming episodes uh, for this series, our own soteriological positions. So, yeah, we, we like to have different perspectives on. And like we said from the beginning, neither one of us identify uh, we're giving you three soteriological positions. We can't yeah. all be in each soteriological position. And so it is a perspective, and we want to hear yours. So Absolutely. I'm excited for where we're going, but I'm also ready to drink some beer. Me so too. I have before me today a really interesting brew. Uh, have never heard of this before. It's called Parish Brewing Company um, out of Wisconsin. 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 And it's the, it's the Gulf Coast Double IPA. Yeah. And you guys know I'm a hophead. Hopheads unite uh, merch line. Um, hopheads are also a cult. Hey, watch it. Uh, I do have a true pint, and it is 8.5% ABV Double IPA. So I'm looking forward to this. This seems good. What do you got? 
So I have the Lefe Blonde. Ooh. Um, and it is a Belgian brew. It is a Trappist Belgian brew. Oh, nice. Um, one of the first beers I drank whenever I lived in Belgium. Yeah, so if you so didn't if know. You, yeah, I was about to tell the story. Yeah, go ahead. So if you didn't know, I did live in Belgium for, you know, nine months, not very long. I drank a lot of beer while I was there. Yeah. Because, you know, I was 17. Brewing <laughs> capital of the world. <laughs> yeah, I was I was 17 in the beer capital of the world where it was legal for me to drink beer. So I drank a lot of beer. And um, Lefe was a regular one for me. It wasn't my favorite. So I'm just going to let you know right now. I, I've gone back to this beer since. It's not my favorite anymore. Um, I'm not just the biggest fan of it. But it's got a cool story to it, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Nice, um, uh, kind of nostalgic moment. Yeah, I remember sitting in a, a little cafe in, you know, when it's cold outside, drinking one of these out of like a yeah. big pedestal glass, right? Like, yeah. I don't know. That's the story I like to tell. Yeah. No, I get it. Well, cheers, buddy. Cheers. Well, we got to open them first before we cheers. Boo. All right, here we go. Cheers. Cheers. Ooh, that is really good. Whoa, that's better than I remember, actually, and it is super nostalgic. Yeah, that is really good. So what you got going on in there? I'm, like, really curious. Yeah, it's uh, super, super florally, super oh, really? citrusy. Um, is it more citrus than floral, or is it balanced? It is more citrus, but I'm getting a nice balancing, like, elderberry note. Ooh, can I try? Yeah, yeah. go ahead. I haven't had this either. I saw it in the, the store and I was like, this looks like something colored. Yeah, double IPAs can be overwhelming with their hops and hops are usually really floral and citrusy, but that one has a nice like balancing adjunct in it. I'm not really sure what it is. I called it elderberry. Now I'm second guessing myself. It's not elderberry. It's not berry but, enough. Uh, yeah, it really good. I only had one drink and it was really fizzy, but yeah. So let's jump into the reason that you are all here. Yeah, the now we're so okay. Last week we talked about um, Calvinism, yeah, just the yeah. theological side, the theological basis for Calvinism, biblical. Basis. I will say I was in a theology class, or I was in a Bible class this mm. morning, uh, this afternoon, and uh, the professor made the joke. There's a whole lot of seminary students in the U.S. and Canada that make it all the way through seminary knowing a lot of theology, and never having read the Bible. So Damn. I feel a bit more validated that a truant professor made my similar joke that when you do theology, you don't read the Bible. So, you read what other people have said about the Bible. And he even said that specifically. Yeah. It, there, and there's a slight problem with that. Uh, not a slight problem. There's, there's a, a big, a very problem. significant problem with that. I was trying to spare your feelings because I didn't no, know where no, you no. fell in that. Dude, every um, every good humor has an element of truth. Like, yeah. I came up with the joke. I and here's the crazy thing: a lot of people don't know this. I made it through my undergrad and my first master's degree, taking a grand total of two Old Testament classes, and one was the intro to Old Testament class that everybody that went to a liberal arts institution had to take. Yeah, so let's let's just... We said we were going to talk about the thing they were here to talk yeah. about, and we didn't. <laughs> we apologize. We promise to do better in the future. Yeah, um, so here we go. We're here talking we about 
the biblical basis for a Calvinistic soteriology. Yeah. Beginning with total depravity. It, you don't have to look very far into the Bible to, to see it. Yeah. So we're going to turn to Genesis 3 here. And there's a, you know, what happens in Genesis 1 and 2 actually are not bearing upon this for Calvinists. There's a lot of debate around Genesis 1 and 2. Actually was in a uh, debate about it today in my Old Testament class. Um, so there's a lot of debate. Hardly anybody agrees. There's questions about the historicity. There's questions about the narrative. There's questions about all kinds of things. For a Reformed person, a Reformed soteriology, that's not important. No. The part that's important is in Genesis 3, we find out that all of the known world is totally depraved. Yep. So uh, if you don't know, Genesis 3 is the narrative where Adam and Eve sin. And in God's response to the sin, the sin is they eat of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, the serpent tempts them. And so God actually dwells out four curses here in Genesis 3. And I've got it open, but for time's sake, I'm not going to read it all. To the serpent, he actually curses and he says, because you've done this, cursed are you among all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and her offspring. Um, and he, the offspring, will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. So there's a very theological curse there as well, tied to the serpent. Uh, which gives us the idea that the serpent was the evil one, Satan, the Satan, the adversary, all those types of things. Yeah. Then we have a curse to the woman. Uh, you will now bear pain in, in childbirth, right? Um, and uh, there's also this thing in here about you... Uh, your desire shall be for your husband, and he will rule over you. This weird thing that, you know, do with it what you will. This is a conversation about it's Calvinist a, soteriology, not, not about my interpretation about of Genesis 3. We'll come back to that Yeah, something else, not yeah. this podcast. We're trying to stay unbiased here. Um, I'm cringing a little bit, but... On some of the other podcasts, we may be a little bit more biased. Not on this one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is pints and perspectives, and I'm trying to do justice to somebody else's perspective. Yeah. Uh, to the man, um, you will now have to tend and care for a ground that is cursed. Yeah. The, the ground will now bring forth thorns and thistles, and you shall eat the plants of the field, and you will now work the sweat of your face and eat bread until the return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So there are four curses here. You've got the curse to the serpent. You've got the curse to the woman. You've got the curse to the man. And then you've got the curse to the ground. Yeah. At which, intimately, the man is tied to. Yeah. He came from the ground and he will return to the ground. Ah, ah, trying to... I want to preach. That'll preach. I'm not gonna. So, so theologically, later story. <laughs> theologically, we have four curses here, yeah. of which the entirety 
of the known world is now depraved. Yeah. The earth, the matter itself, as well as the man and the woman, all totally depraved. Literally everything around us. Depraved. Crap. Yep. Just big heaping piles of dung. Yeah. So everything we know is depraved. And doesn't mean that the pile of crap isn't beautiful. It's still a pile of crap. It, but it's yeah. still a pile of crap. Yeah. You can make crap art and it doesn't make anything <laughs> other than crap. Yeah. Or crappy art. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Could be a few different things, I guess. But anyways, so it's from that basis that we move into the need for election. Yeah. For a reform soteriology, the big one is election. You got to have this election. And before we get into that, because I think it's going to take a bit of time to kind of walk that out from a biblical basis. We also can't miss the fact, right? I think we talked about it last week, but like the limited atonement piece is pretty easy. Yeah. If Jesus died for everybody, then we're all saved no matter what, right? From a reform perspective, yeah, Jesus's blood is sufficient to cover everyone. There's enough of it to go around, but it's only efficient, efficient for, some. for the elect, those who are elected. And and that election is unconditional for for the reformed person. And so we get these passages like Romans 9. Really really interesting passage. If very hard to if you're not a, a good like we talk about all the time if you're not a good reader of your Bible or if this is just genuinely how you believe it it's hard to justify this any other way yeah so we have yeah well once again we're trying to stay unbiased I'm a Bible nerd theology nerd yeah I, I could just oh my pencil just dropped out of my other place I was marking whatever shoot I'll figure it out well Romans 9, this is uh, about the promise of God's election for the people of Israel, and I think that's really important. Um, sorry, guys, I don't know that I'm going to be able to hold my bias here. I'm going to try really hard, but um, God's election here, and in chapter 9, verse 9, it says, For this is what the promise said, About this time I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. Nor is that all. Something similar happened to Rebekah. When she had conceived children by one husband, our ancestor Isaac, even before they had been born or had done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose of election might continue, not by works, but by his call, she was told, the elder shall serve the younger. As it was written, as it is written, I've loved Jacob, but I've hated Esau. Now, I, th I think it is important to stay unbiased to read the next verse. What then are we to say? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Yeah. It, if you just read that first par part, it does make God out well, to be this really kind of mean person. Well, um, but the reason I didn't do that is because Paul's mixing two stories there. He is mixing two stories there. He's mixing a story with Moses, and he's mixing a story of Jacob and Esau. Right, but it is important to the larger narrative. At least for election. what Paul's trying to do. Yeah. Um, 
And I think if you go back and read the Jacob and Esau story, don't just take that for what it is, no, right? You've got to go read the Jacob and Esau story. It's a really weird story. And, and something that happens there is Jacob and Esau are actually twins. And before they're ever born, an angel or the Lord, an angel of the Lord comes to her and says, you're going to bear two nations. It's decided from the beginning that you're going to bear two nations. And it's interesting. It says in the way the text records it, that the older will serve the younger. Okay. No, no, no. Not in not in that time. That's not how that happens. Yeah. And the text actually says they're pitted against each other, that Isaac favored Esau, but Rebekah favored Jacob. Yep. Because Esau is a manly man. Yep. He was the hunter. He was the... the <laughs> He's the, the hairy guy. dude that... that yeah, the way it's recorded, I've got it marked. Hang on. The way it's recorded um, in Genesis 26, 25, sorry, uh, 25 verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, like yeah. the quintessential man the, the, of the time. Yeah. While Jacob was a quiet man living in tents. Yep. He's the inside mama's boy. And says, 28, Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And the text doesn't say he was fond of anything. He just seems to be this guy that's chosen. Yep. And he just, and that would be the way the reformed person would read it. Now, I think if you continue the narrative... And I will say this is the part where my bias is going to come in a little bit. I can't help it. I'm trying, and I can't not say it. If you go through and read that story in light of the whole Genesis narrative, Esau actually marries the wrong person. Yeah. Esau marries two different groups of people. So first he marries some Hittite women. But then... In Genesis 28, hang on. Oh, here it is. Genesis 28. The subtitle is Esau Marries Ishmael's Daughter. Clayton, who's Ishmael? That is Abraham's first son. Is Abraham's son with his wife's slave named Hagar. Her handmaiden. Yeah, that they actually send away. Mm-hmm. So it's actually his cousin, yep. but it's the rejected cousin. Yep. The one that Abraham sends away because it's not the promised child of God. It's not Isaac. Yeah. And so he sends her away with Ishmael, And there's this weird story there about how she sets the baby away on the side so that she can die and not hear it or see it or that the baby can die and she's going to die alongside it. And then a mystical, magical, heavenly being comes and and gives provision for them. 
really kind of crazy thing, but Esau marries outside of the appropriate line. Mm. Esau is the wrong of the two nations because he married the rejected woman. So that would be my piece is if you read it as a reformed person, you would say, nope, before anything, you it was just chosen, right? But it, it would be like a Jeremiah reading. So right. let me flip to there. I know I'm dropping a lot of biblical texts. Well, Jeremiah. I'll try to remember to I'm, mark all these, but it's Jeremiah 1 4. Oh, okay. And, going there. Oh, sorry. Jeremiah 1 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. It's a very like that kind of like predestined way of reading that text. Yeah. And that couples with Paul's story in Romans 8, actually, the story right before Romans 9, where we just got the kind of idea from Jacob and Esau. Chapter 8, verse 28 says, We know that all things work together for good. For those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's the way that a reformed person would read the soteriological narrative that it didn't matter yeah. who Esau married. It didn't matter who Jacob married. They were chosen from the beginning before they were ever born. And that's why the angel of the Lord or the Lord himself, can't remember who actually it is that appears to um, Rebecca, but whoever it is actually tells her that one is going to be chosen and one is not. Yeah. Oh, the Lord. Oh, the Lord said to her. The Lord said to her. Okay, so yeah, yeah. God himself. The actual Lord said to her. Uh, this is uh, Genesis 25, verse 23. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. Yeah, okay. And it, it's also, just for the, the, the sake of telling the story and the narrative it's so funny um jacob comes out of the womb holding on to esau's ankle yeah, yeah, yeah that's true in in the narrative yeah for sure um it says the text says uh when our time this is verse 24 this is literally right where we're picking up uh when our time to give birth was at hand there were twins in her womb the first came out red all his body like a hairy mantle <laughs> so they named him esau my Hebrew is not good enough to tell you what Esau means anymore. Yeah, I don't remember. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Yeah. So literally, he comes out into the world on the heel of his brother. But God had favor over him. In the... the yeah, yeah, in the reform narrative. In the reform narrative, God had favor over him 
rather than his brother. When I think the the reform piece actually plays on as well that in a patriarchal society, mm-hmm. it's actually the mother, the favorite son of the mother mm-hmm. that gets the blessing. And there's a whole thing in there that we don't have time to talk about, about the birthright. Yeah. And actually his mother, Rebecca, is is actually is the initiator. The She's the one that sets... She Everything can, up for she Jacob can, to steal the birthright. Yeah, she concocts the plan. It's her plan. Yeah, straight up Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> yeah, yeah, legit. Yeah, it's her plan about yeah. how Jacob can do this. Yeah. Because it, Jacob's tried once before. Don't forget the, the story with the soup. Yeah. So before Jacob or Esau comes in hungry... So do should we just let them go and read the narrative for themselves? It covers like five chapters. I've I don't know if they're actually going to go read it all. I know we're just running long. I we know. always run. We long all run on this podcast. We got to drink a whole beer. It, it, you know <laughs> it. You know if you got a problem with how long we go, if you're driving to work, chop it up into two, yeah. Two pause goes. it. Wait till you get home. Crack a beer and listen to the rest. Yeah. So Genesis twenty five, beginning in twenty nine. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Ooh. Mm. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff <laughs> for I am famished. Therefore, he was called Edom. Jacob said, first, sell me your birthright. Esau said, I'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me. Very uh, nearsighted, this Esau. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not much foresight. Jacob Why didn't said, he just... Snatch the ladle and get himself a right. bowl. Right. Jacob said, "Swear to me first. So he swore to him and sold him his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went away. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So there's another piece there about you know whatever because the birthright is the inheritance from the father. Yeah, it's it's your rightful place, and for whatever reason Esau least in this part of the story, didn't care. Yeah. Um, so you got this weird thing where he gives it away once, but then Jacob actually has to go and trick not only Esau, but his father, yeah. Isaac, into giving him the birthright. So this whole thing there about choosing and being chosen and the soteriological aspect of it is from a reform side is that God's in control, that we're totally depraved, and in in our depravity, we can't choose God, and so God, therefore, must choose us. And if he chooses us, he predestined us. And this is where the irresistible grace comes in, because in the Romans 8 passage, if he predestined you, he also justified you. And if he justified you, he glorified you. Your path is set in stone. Which Um, then plays into the perseverance of the saints piece as well. Which is that if if you are elect, you are already destined to be glorified. Yeah, um, and we can find that in in John ten, right? Um, yep. Do you have that mark still, or can I just no? Paraphrase? That's the one that fell. But I can let me just paraphrase it, it. it. Basically, oh, while well, you're doing it, anyways. Bible drill. John ten. John ten twenty one. I think right. Um. Uh, 28 through 28. 30. Yeah. Or 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. 
No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Yeah. So, so there's a oh interesting Trinity piece there too, but like that's not what we're here oh, for. Oh, John's littered with it, man. Yeah. John five, go read that. Like yeah. littered with it. Yeah. Anyways, that's not what we're here to talk about. No. But that very clearly seems to state that like you can't lose your salvation, right? Yeah, um, well at least for yeah, for reform soteriology, we're gonna cover the Arminianist position right, next week. Next week. Well the theological piece we'll yeah the theological and then we'll do the Bib- the bible piece later but um from a reform soteriology it's like hey this seems pretty cut and cut in stone it's pretty yeah. cut and dry um we're we're pretty tied up here well now we'll say that's actually what got me believing in reform soteriology is it like dude it's just here like it's stated plainly yeah. how do you deny it you know, and then I, think, I, I grew a little bit and <laughs> learned a little bit. You know, like I'm not saying that reformed people are wrong. Just dig that hole, bro. I know, <laughs> I know. I'm not saying that reformed people are wrong. I'm just saying that I learned more about myself. I learned how I interpret the Bible a little bit better, yeah. right? And so I think for me, the thing that drew me to reform soteriology in the beginning was. It, it was a complete package. It, it may not have been wrapped very pretty, no. but it tied a bow on every loose end. No, absolutely. Um, it just, the, it's just it's, formatted so well to well, make well, it's sense. Just, it's a very coherent and maybe the best, um, I don't know how to say it, but maybe the, the most tight, mm systematic theology yeah i think that's true um and so like i say it may not be wrapped very pretty because it may be wrapped in newspaper right because the newspaper is littered with things you don't want to hear yeah but yeah it's still wrapped and it's neat and there's a bow on it it ties up the loose ends yeah i I remember whenever i did identify as full-on five-point calvinist you remember that and I was like hardcore about it too. Um, he was card coding. Yeah, man. I, card I was, coding. Yep. I was proud to be a Calvinist. He was more Calvinistic than John Calvin himself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna go there. Uh, uh, yeah, I will because Calvin's followers are. They tend to be a little bit more radical than he was. Well, they're they're much more farther than he was. Um, but um, I remember that like I would get into into debates with people that weren't and i would always have like yeah well what about this yeah right no matter what it was i would always have some sort of rebuttal just because the systematic theology explains itself yeah and that's the thing there the other thing that it does is it gives you the catch-all card of like well the bible says Mm, yeah and it give, you have all these, like, pithy places that you can point to. And because of the perseverance of the saints thing, anybody that ends up in apostasy or apostate, mm. the narrative yeah. is, well, they just never, they weren't elect to begin with. They were just, yeah. like, masquerading as the elect. Well, they never, or the people that said that they were Christian 
and then left the faith and right. then came back later. Right. They were always elect. They just like weren't they just, living out their election. Right. They just hadn't received grace yet. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like there's, there's always a narrative for it, but that, that, so that's reform soteriology. And what, what happens is it's really popular reform soteriology and positions are really popular among young people. Hmm. Uh, historically and statistically, it's, it's actually very popular among young people. And then I can't find a ton of statistical data on this. So don't quote me. This is my interpretation of this, the data, but about the times that, about the time that people begin to have children is about the time that they begin to question and, and phase out of that. Because if God is choosing, what if he didn't choose mine? When you have kids, things about your worldview begin to change. And so those who are on the fringe of that tradition about the time they have kids, they tend to look for a different tradition. My social work brain is going nuts right now. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. That's interesting. Yeah, the numbers between Reformed or people who attend Reformed churches and people who don't. Go down it, around the time they have kids. It's, it's somewhere in between 35 and 40 that okay, like, so, like they begin to move away from so it. maybe about the time well i don't know because well, people are having kids later having in life kids older yeah i mean i know people that are like 35 and talking about when they have kids and i'm like yo i ain't trying to have any more after i'm 30 <laughs> like you got me some kind of messed up with somebody else honestly at this point Never mind, I'm not going to say it on the podcast. <laughs> Our parents listen to this podcast. Well, and if you say it, you it will be forever in the intranet. <laughs> I'm not saying anything about me having kids. <laughs> we all know what you wanted to say. So I hope this is helpful, at least um, kind of understanding where a reform soteriological position comes from and how it kind of all plays together. Yeah. And that's the other thing. It is dependent upon one another. If you no, take... If you take total depravity out of it, the you entire thing falls apart. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you take total depravity out of it, if you take unconditional election out of it, you have no argument. Um, yeah, that's the deal. If if you take a if you take away the first two pieces, you can you can take out perseverance of the saints and make it work. Um, yeah, 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 you can, you can, you can take out irresistible grace and make it work. Uh, nope. You don't, don't think, think so? That, no, because if you're totally depraved, you can't choose God, which also means you can't reject God. Oh, I guess that's true. Um, yeah. If if irresistible I guess grace, the only can, piece that you can take out and make work, well, is perseverance of the saints. I don't even know that you can take it out, because if you can't choose God and you can't reject God, then once God chooses you, He can't let you go. Which is to say, perseverance yeah, but of the saints. Ah, like, uh, yeah. You, you really need them all. You, you really need them all. You, you have to have them all. I will admit that I used to be in the category that I said I was like a four-point Calvinist. Well, you're not a Calvinist, no. 
the, exactly. Yeah, and like that's, we that's said okay. last week. Yeah. Like it, if you don't have one, you don't have them all. Yeah, if you don't have one, you're just not a Calvinist, and we should stop talking in those terms. Yeah, you're not a Calvinist. You're not. You don't have Reformed soteriology, and that's okay. Yeah. So I hope this has helped. I hope that I've done justice to the position. If you think I haven't, please come into the Facebook group mm. and let me know and, and share your perspective. Yeah, let's let's have a conversation about it. If there's anything you think I missed in the Reform soteriology, or if there's any Bible passages that you think I should have talked about that I didn't, let me know. And um, let's all remember to respect perspectives. Amen.